Orange is the New Black Season 4 is available for all of your binge-watching pleasure. And we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. My name is Jessica Lease. With me, as always, the wonderful Taylor Cotter, and we are here to break down everything that happened in Episodes 2, 3, and 4 of Season 4 of Orange is the New Black, now available on Netflix, wherever fine Netflix streaming devices are sold. Taylor, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm excited for this threefer, and uh, we had three super uh, interesting, heartfelt, sad episodes, so I uh, I think we have a lot to talk about. I think interesting, heartfelt, and sad is kind of, that's almost every episode of Orange yep, is the that's New Black. True. <laughs> interesting, heartfelt, sad, and with a liberal dose of dark humor. Yes. So, I guess we're starting to see... Finally, like where we thought that we had kind of a slow start, we're starting to see some of the main pieces of the season falling together here. Yeah, the, especially in this episode two, lots of really thematic stuff that I was like, okay, this is what we're going to be talking about uh, when we are when we're talking about Orange Is New Black this season, which is a lot of uh, new relationships, a lot of stuff really rooted in race, which is a lot of how season one was and kind of. Uh, tapered off so interesting to see that back uh and then moving uh kind of moving a lot of these like we said in our first podcast a lot of these smaller storylines forward yeah yeah absolutely so where where do you want to go for this episode two like where's a good place to start uh let's start with maria okay yeah i mean this is kind of we're seeing the rise of a new villain that i think the first time we saw maria we really could not have guessed that this was where we were going to wind up with her story. Yeah, she was really a smaller side character that wasn't given a lot to do. So she was the pregnant, right? Okay, cool. <laughs> I was like, I'm very nervous. She was the pregnant. She was pregnant very early, and we really got very little of her backstory. And she was almost a, I hesitate to say comic relief character, but like she and her boyfriend who never talked like they were really just like bits and pipers you know a perspective in what was going on and we never really dug into her and uh it turns out she's kind of a badass yeah i think it's so interesting the difference when you look back on season one and you look at where the show is now season one had a lot of these side characters who would show up in one episode as kind of an illustrative example Mm -hmm. And she was kind of the person who they chose to take us down the path of what happens to a woman who's pregnant in prison, like what happens to her baby and how her family dynamics change. And now it's like we're going to go back to that and we're going to give her an incredibly rich backstory. Yeah, I love it. Since I think so much of season one was here is prison through the lens of this new person, Piper, and here is what she is seeing and who she is reacting to. And now everybody is empowered to be their own self-actualized character. Right. Um, and it it's really great to see that and like also through a kind of a cultural lens Um and people kind of, uh, Maria very much in this episode is about how she's Dominican, uh, what that means, how she landed, it, where she landed, and uh, how, you know, she's struggled with that identity in prison and out of prison. And I really like that because it's something that uh, 
it's very contextual. And there's so much about uh, race relations and cultural relations in this prison in particular, and I'm sure, you know, on a broader scale. And to kind of really see that from a very nuanced perspective, more so than, you know, in the first couple seasons when it was like, white people are here, black people are here. Like, there's actually a lot more uh, interesting and, uh, you know, like somewhat heartbreaking stuff that's in a lot of these other kind of cultural divides. Yeah, we definitely, we, we dove into national identity in a way that we haven't before. Yes. Through um, Maria's flashbacks, her father is this Dominican pride activist who also randomly has random large wads of cash kicking around, but he puts that back into the community. So he's not a totally bad guy. He's mm-hmm. not like the other dads. He's a cool dad. Yep. <laughs> And it turns out he is the local drug dealer, and this is also kind of a driving force. But the first thing we get of him is this is the Dominican community. This is he is a community leader. He's full of civic pride. And it doesn't sit well with him when Maria inevitably winds up falling in love with a Mexican. Yes. Um, Yeah, Maria seems to have more or less fallen victim to a sort of series of unfortunate events, being rolling with the wrong crowd, falling in with, you know, uh, uh, things that other people in her family were doing, which uh, I assume this is the story for a lot of people, which is, you know, super sad. Like Maria is not a bad person and she's just like a tough, badass bitch. And she is going to, you know, pay the price for stuff that probably was more or less outside of her control. And I, uh, I'm in, I like her kind of coming up as the next, the, and, uh, you know, we get into this in the next couple episodes of like the kind of person to like threaten dominance in this place, because it's clear that, you know, she comes from this place of like immense pride that she's struggled with. And then like, also like, you know, she's like this boxer, kickboxer or something that's really like tough. Uh, so I, I like her as a new leader here. Unexpected. Yeah, we're kind of, we're witnessing the rise of Maria here. Mm-hmm. And now, do you think that she is going to be kind of a major driving force this season, similar to maybe how V was in season two? Yeah, I hope it's not as, V was just very obviously a bad character that everyone could ultimately could kind of rally against with very few redeeming qualities and her arc was very clear. I don't necessarily see the same for Maria, but she definitely seems uh, to be the driving force here. Um, And I think it's, it makes sense. You know, we have uh, with all these new prisoners coming in that there's a huge new uh, contingent of Hispanic women. There's a new contingent of Dominican women. Uh, She has a lot of people that are following her and listening to her. And it's kind of like an earned, thing more so than V coming in and just saying, you know, I used to be a big deal around here. So I, I can respect that. And I'm interested to see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. That's it's very, and again, it's, it speaks to the evolution of the series because this is much more nuanced, I think, than like, Oh, here is the new bad guy. Right. I agree. And it, it makes a lot more sense, you know, that there's not always going to be one very evil character or evil force, but there might be, you know, these more complicated situations that arise and things that 
uh, ways that different people come to power. And do you think there's ever a point at which we've gotten too deep into the weeds of nuance? Because huh. I think, you know, this is the show has evolved so much and has gotten the universe has gotten so much bigger with so many more characters that we're meant to care about, so many more wonderful performances. Is there what do you think is the breaking point here? Does it ever get too big to handle? This is a little bit I wanted to talk about this with episode four too. Um and I don't know if it's too big to handle, but I don't know if it's serving its own purpose anymore. Um, because I, and the, and I've said this before on the show that I, uh, my favorite thing is that we see multifaceted angles of people. You don't see that on too many other shows. Uh, or if you do, they're so, they're so obvious or like really, uh, put into like very obvious motifs or whatever or like um so it's like this person did a bad thing but they're a good person or this person is a bad person that did a good thing and everyone on this show is so deeply entrenched in that gray area that they have millions of stories to tell in here and i i am interested in a good chunk of those stories and probably most of them, to be honest. But I, when it, you want to think about like moving a narrative forward, I don't know if these like character vignettes are uh, doing that. But maybe that's not the goal here. You know, maybe the goal is like to just really give a slice of life of these different women and not really worry about plot or traditional plot. So, in other words, we just need some earplugs and some breathing exercises if we yeah. ever feel like we're overwhelmed with the overcrowding. Right. I guess it's like, okay, today we are focusing on this person and uh, what's going on with them. And the thing is, like, this show is truly thoughtful and designed to be watched in one sitting or, you know, two or three sittings. Um, so I totally am. I think that they do an effective job of that. And I think I'm watching this uh, pretty episodically, like watching one episode, taking a little bit of time, watching another, watching another um, and not doing a full binge. And I think that works against it because though I know what happened in each episode, the kind of storylines that are supposed to be fluid over 13 episodes might be a little more lost on me. Yeah, it's it's really ironic, I think, that as a show that is about being confined in a place for a prolonged period of time, the ideal way to watch it is to be... <laughs> is to take it all in once a year and then forget about it for 11 months. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I guess, yeah, it's very funny to think that like probably the, you know, I wonder if people in prison <laughs> consume this show, like that you want to sit there uninterrupted in dare I say, solitary confinement for 12 to 13 hours watching this show. And that's how you're really going to absorb all the stories. Uh, rather than my less than ideal way of watching it is, you know, picking up an episode every day, every two days. Yeah, this show would, would definitely not, like, even every two days is pretty good. The show would not be as effective, I don't think, if you had to wait a week between every episode. Definitely not. Like, I think, how could you expect people to care about these smaller characters that, you know, over the course of a 13-hour show are going to get 30 minutes of screen time? Like, 
it, it would never work week over week. And I, I used, I don't know. I, I know you guys have had this discussion on poster recaps a million times. Like, it, do you want to binge watch stuff? Do you want like, what's better? What's worse? And I truly think it probably depends on the show, but for this, like, this is a anthology and it, it's not necessary. And there's, you know, I, I have to imagine there are more than 20, and I never counted more than 20 active characters that we should be a hundred percent invested in their story throughout the season, which is a lot considering most shows have one. Yeah. Or, you know, five, like right. Your average sitcom has like five or six main characters. Right. And this is, this is better. I love it. I'm so, I am compelled and interested in it. Uh, but they definitely jump around. So to see a character like Maria, who, you know, I was so off my radar, come in and be interesting and more than interesting and powerful and like a power broker of the season. I'm, I love that. Yeah. It's kind of like everybody has that potential within them to have these hidden depths that open up a whole new direction in the story. Yeah. And I, I do appreciate, like, I think of all the seasons, so far, I think season two was my favorite because I liked the one driving force. So hopefully this kind of follows that path. Yeah, it's certainly, it's looking like we're picking up, she's picking up a little new side business, I guess Mm -hmm. we should say. Yes. And it's an interesting tactic to take and something I guess you're vulnerable to when your business is, shall we say, you know, above the law. Right. You always open yourself up if you are working outside the bounds of of the law. There's always potential somebody's going to rip off your intellectual property. Yeah, I mean, what Piper was doing was innovative, but definitely not uh, protected. And uh, there, everyone knew what she was doing, and there is no way to stop anyone from replicating it. Yep, and so, and if you're doing something and you're succeeding, you're going to have a bunch of imitators crop up. And you're probably going to have some people mad at you, which I think maybe the inciting incident here was um, was when she fired Flocka. Yep. And that uh, Piper uh, flew a little close to the sun with this whole thing. And uh, Piper is uh, talk about one dimensional, right? Like this is she's totally flattened to only become this, you know, kind of this proprietor of this business. Uh, and she is, you know, thought she had a lot of power and could control everyone around her and not true. No, and it turns out she's going to need some badass lessons. If she's going to be this like self-described gangsta, she's going to need someone who actually knows a thing or two about being a badass to give her a little bit of help in this arena to fight off the imitators. And I want to be very clear about this because I like, I, they did not say this girl's name. No, they did not. You have to look it up. Good, good. And that's why this show can be difficult to keep track of who is who, because they did not, uh, I have, uh, I think they might have said it in episode four, but I am not even sure about that. But yeah, that was a pain. So Piper has a new roommate who is her uh, number two. Yes, her um, protective detail. Yes. And what is her name? Hapakuku. Hapakuku. And she is Hawaiian. Um, I don't think we know her first name yet. 
Like, yeah. I only know her last name because I've been spending copious amounts of time on IMDb and the Orange is New Black wiki. Um, the actress is fantastic. I've seen her in a couple of different things before. Um, she has been, uh, I believe that was her in Donnie Darko. In what role? Um, she was, uh, there's a scene I believe I have not seen Donnie Darko in like literally 10 years. I didn't enjoy it when I did watch it, which I know is blasphemy. Eh. Um, but she's a classmate of the titular character. Oh. And, um, she also, this is one that only I ever watched. So everybody else, you can be forgiven for not having spotted this, but there was a TV remake about five years ago of the movie, 10 things I hate about you which is one of my all-time favorite movies. And so I was in for all 10 episodes of the series, even though the I remember was this. Terrible. Yes. And so she played the role of Mandela, who was the best friend of Cat Stratford. That's cool. I don't think I love that movie, but I did not watch that show. Um, I really like this actress, though. I, I think she's cool and funny, and I'm excited to uh, have her along. I love the shot of her doing like the leg lifts in bed with Piper in the bunk bed. I was like, Oh, this is so, so, uh, creative. And this girl, she's just, you know, doesn't want anyone. No one's going to mess with her. She's tough. She knows what she's doing. Very comfortable. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I like what little we've seen of her so far. And I think this is an interesting dynamic, um, to have Piper putting, um, putting her on the job as you know personal bodyguard and i wonder like if she's ever going to be in a position where she has to be called into service like what is that going to look like yeah i think is yeah we don't really we truly know nothing about her is she you know is she all talk is she really going to push it to the limit with piper um and i don't know if i totally understand her motivation for helping Piper at all, but well, she doesn't have any friends yet. Right. Um, I think it's hard to be the new girl in town. Um, and it's also, I think it's gotta be doubly hard because the way that these racial factions are shaking out, mm -hmm. like where is she going to go? Um, like where is the Hawaiian gang? Right. Yeah. We see that a lot with, you know, the, uh, very the smallest factions of minorities it was only chang in the first season was the only asian person at the prison and uh it's interesting to see where these people fall in we see so so a lot in this episode uh with now that she's dating pusey she's fallen in with that crowd and they have mixed feelings about it um so if you're not falling into one of these main racial groups where do you go but um i hope that she and piper have a good relationship and they can do something interesting here. Yeah. It would be nice to have her humanize Piper a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Piper has gotten to be a lot. Um, and <laughs> we have a, we have a lot of, uh, Piper trying to figure or uh, so, uh, the Maria and her girls are starting to copycat Piper's panty business. And Piper is, uh, just starting to, uh, uh, sniff that out. <laughs> Nicely put. <laughs> this is the other hazard of working outside the law. Someone rips off your idea and you're kind of in a position now where not only someone much more powerful than you 
putting you out of business, but if they get caught, you know, where are they going to go? Right. Right. Yeah. You can't call, can't call a lawyer for this reason. And, you know, provided someone gets busted doing this, they're going to sell out Piper to the guards. They're not going to sell, they're not going to sell out their own kingpin. Right. I mean, to me, this is a little bit of, like, maybe a bit of an idiot plot, because I think, like, can't Piper just, like, keep her head down and keep working and keep doing what she's doing? And, like, this other business, like, she know, like, like, she doesn't, they don't have the people on the outside that she has, that her brother that's helping her. So, this will, like, I would assume Maria's business will fall apart. But I guess maybe she's not trusting in kind of that capitalistic sense (laughs) right now. (laughs) In other words, rely on the quality of the product to speak for itself. Right, right. That That would be what I would do here. Yeah, I suppose. I guess if you're losing your girls, that's hard. I, I guess that's also a concern. I think I think there's a lot of things at play here, and I think not the least of which is Piper's new, like, megalomaniacal tendencies. Yes, very important to realize. Where it's like she feels she's being messed with, and she thinks the approach here is that she should not be messed with. Right, and... Yeah, uh, that that kind of confidence doesn't come around very often. So good for you, Piper. Uh, you're going to be taken down a notch any minute now. Um, and uh, she has an interaction with Red here, where Red is where uh, Red is basically like, "Stop! <laughs> uh, you're being uh, like you can't uh, you can't keep uh, you know acting like you are so important." Um, but I don't think it's a little bit on deaf ears. Yeah, I don't know if the actual phrase King shit of fuck mountain was ever thrown <laughs> around, but that's what I that's the expression that comes to mind. Yeah. So Piper's being set up like this is sort of, you know, the rise of Maria coincides with the inevitable eventual fall of Piper. And it will be interesting to see those two things collide because I can't imagine they won't. I agree. And yeah, nothing I would have expected, but uh, excited to see how it goes. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess we should go, like, we could go to the administrative side of things, I guess, next, um, where we're getting to know Linda from purchasing a little bit better. Um, yeah, so weird. Who's basically the most, you know, random ass character. Um you really couldn't get much more corporate than this, but Caputo's got a pretty good idea. And I was not anticipating that that random house in the middle of the woods was going to come back into play so quickly. I know. We were like, what could it be? Oh, perfect. It's like, it's what a coincidence. Uh, uh, But cool, right? I actually thought this was like interesting um, for as far as administrative things go. Um, Linda is, you know, a very business-minded lady uh so she doesn't have an easy time uh understanding that you know there's lives here uh but uh she comes up with the idea of hiring former veterans as ceos uh and caputo likes it because he needs more tough people that know what they're doing and she likes it because you get a uh some sort of wage reimbursement um, and they're able to put them up in the tiny houses, tiny house movement, uh, that are behind the prison. 
This and apparently those houses are in pretty great shape, and there's a lot of them. Which yeah, that's kind of surprising. But okay. Yep. Yeah. I. They, I don't mind. Uh, kind of uh, ham fisting <laughs> that as much as some of the other stuff we've seen on this show and other shows. So, but yeah, sure. If there's a bunch of cabins <laughs> right behind the house, uh, behind the prison, then uh, I'll I'll buy it. I'll buy it for now. Sure. And, you know, we are very much hurting for new blood. Yes. So even though, you know, the last time we hired a veteran, um, didn't go so well. Knocked up one of the inmates and skipped town with no notice. Yep. Yeah, that's true. I guess we can't make a blanket judgment that all veterans will make great correctional officers. But I have to hope that maybe better than the average pool of uh young, you know, uh, 20-somethings that they've been hiring. That's true. That's definitely going to be a little tougher than uh, than Bailey. Yeah. Oh, what a, little, what a cutie pie. Yeah, he just want to pinch his cheeks. Yeah, just a little teeny tine. Yes. Um, and so Piscatella got promoted. We're going to have him on board permanently. Yep. And this is Caputo's old job, although Caputo opted not to wear the uniform. But Piscatella says he's more comfortable that way. Mm-hmm. I like the assembly with all, you know, to me, that's like, that's an uh, efficient way to distribute information to the inmates and the audience of this is what's happening now. Uh, here's, here's the situation. Yeah, it was like exposition, exposition. But the one thing that came out of this that I appreciated a lot was, okay, there's Sister Ingalls. She's not just going to disappear from the show entirely. Yep. And her, where is, uh, where is Sophia Bursette? Perfect. Uh, you know, transition for us to one of those, one of the things we mentioned in the premiere that they very much uh, ignored or not ignored, but uh, deliberately left off talking about until this episode. Uh, and I like, I like that. I like seeing like people care about what's going on to the other women in this prison. And that that's a big one. And she's sort of a mouthpiece for the audience. Yes. Yes, very much so. Considering we asked that same question. <laughs> Reminding us, you know, we're not going to let you drop this thread. Yeah, I, I like that. Who else did you like this episode? Um, I, There was a um, weird sitcom-y like storyline of uh, Red's new roommate snoring. Uh, which I, I didn't hate. I was like, okay. <laughs> but uh, it was, I it didn't serve kind of that greater you know, uh, character development function, I don't think, but I kind of liked, like, the fact that, like, yeah, there's also minor annoyances, you know, and dealing with that is part of this life, too. Yeah, I mean, you have to imagine this is something that's come up before. Yes. So she has an enormous uvula, and there's yep. nothing she can do about it. Um, so we we do get a fair amount of, you know, red tossing and turning and being grumpy, and grumpy red is a joy to watch. Yes. And I did feel I did feel like this storyline was a little shoehorned in. It was like, we need something funny to happen. What would be a funny thing to happen in prison? Well, somebody could snore. It would keep people up. They'd get upset. That's how I felt like it seemed like they had an extra five minutes of space they wanted to fill with something funny and that was the funny thing they came up with it felt a little inorganic to me uh yeah i agree it felt like something you would see on like how i met your mother <laughs> like something you know very 
week. I, I did think it was funny when I thought for a second they were going to murder her. But um, before that, it was, yeah, it felt out of place. I don't mind it because I don't, like, and we'll talk about this with some of the other episodes, like, the heavy stuff has really gotten to me. I don't know if I'm a more sensitive person than I used to be or what, but... Yeah, seeing a couple light things here and there uh, doesn't bother me, um, even if it's not the most compelling thing in the world. Right, right. And we get um, Judy King um, and, you know, not to look too far ahead, but Judy King is settling in and she's getting some super special treatment. Yes. Um, I believe this is the room that they used to put the new prisoners in for the first night where DeMarco used to hold court ah uh, that makes sense and so now it is a special two-person dorm room yes for judy and her new roommate yoga jones right and yoga jones is not happy with this situation well not at first yes and she just knows how things work right that like you can't you get a little bit of special treatment and you hear about it and it's not something that uh she would necessarily choose to partake in if she didn't uh, didn't have to. Yeah, but don't you think she comes around a little bit quickly? I would. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't know. I used to really like Yoga Jones, and she's being not. She's not falling off completely for me. But sometimes I'm like, I don't really get you. Like, can't you just kind of roll with the punches a little easier? Um, but she, uh, yeah, I think she. I don't know. I can't. I guess I can't really tell. I thought she was. She was conscientiously objecting to all the special treatment, but she wasn't actually objecting to it. And uh, she was talking big with her friends, but not really, uh, not really doing any of the stuff that uh, I expected her to do. So who knows? I think you get that special treatment and you may be opposed to it in principle, but if you're the one getting it, it's really not going to bother you all that much. Yes. Which I understand that. Uh, Certainly we had some kind of like, there were some little hot takes in the rest of this episode, but I think we've touched on the bigger points. Um, yeah, we jumped around a lot. Uh, Red gives Judy King diarrhea, which seemed way over overdue. <laughs> but hey, that, that's Red. It's not the first time she's done something like that. Yeah, honestly, you can't really call yourself fully an inmate in Litchfield until Red has done something to make you totally miserable. Like that was a whole like three episode arc in the first season. Yes. Yes. I think I think actually Judy got off a little easy when you compare it to what Piper had to deal with. Yeah. Th- just thinking about that makes me very upset. <laughs> so yes. this this might be OK. Yeah. That's not it's not too bad. Yes. Uh, we get a quick check in from Daya um, and Daya's mom and that her boyfriend's going to j- jail and Daya's trying to keep it together some stuff that we didn't really get to in the first episode. So good to see them check in there, even though their story is uh, tragically sad. Yeah. And I think it was kind of, we needed the confirmation, like just to tie up that loose end. We saw, we saw Cesar get busted at the end of last season. And we didn't know, like his plan was he was going to take care of the baby. Um, while Diana Latus served out the rest of their sentences, but it turns out now He's going to be going away for a while. So Daya's baby and all of her brothers and sisters are now going to go into foster care. I'm sure that seems like for something that has been a huge part of the story, main focus the last three seasons, really. Um, 
it seems like it's going to be backburnered this season a little bit, but I'm sure we'll keep popping in with them. Yeah, it'll it'll be periodic check-ins, but you know, once that baby was born, you knew they were going to kind of fall off a little bit. Right. Yeah, that was kind of her biggest thing. Uh, yeah, a couple, like, lots of, we checked in with a lot of people in this episode. Yeah, it, it was really kind of a continuation. It was like, you know, if they were broadcasting this on a network, this would be a two-part premiere. Right. Like it, yes. Clearly, they are two separate episodes, but they would package them together so that you have that opportunity to check in with everybody. Yes, definitely. And that's kind of how it felt. It really didn't feel like we were getting into the meat of the, epi- of the season arc until the end of this episode. Yep. Uh, very clear that this lolly NSA thing um, and the fact that they murdered this guy is going to loom large. Uh, so Flora, who has been really killing it, um, seems just, you know, really, really calm about this whole situation, manages Lolly, starting to go crazy, uh, and tells her that, uh, she moved the body, uh, or she tells Alex that they moved the body. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Lolly's panicking, Alex was panicking, and Flora means, uh, Manages to stay extremely cool through this whole situation. I think her name is Frida, actually. Frida? Oh, fuck. It's <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, uh, like, right. Are, are there 8 million people on the show or what? I, I think so. And I only remember Frida because she is pretty much my favorite. That's fair. I know. I apologize. I uh, I will do better on the names. <laughs> It's it's okay, and I had not even like made a note of that development for this episode. Yeah, I liked it because it was so cool, and she was like, "Yeah, I removed the body. Don't worry about it." <laughs> I, was like, I would love to have someone uh, with uh, with that much control in my life. She's really someone like everyone needs someone like that in their rolodex. Yes, really, just take charge of the situation. They've seen everything; it can't phase you. She's really like the prison equivalent of Winston Wolf. From Pulp Fiction. You just kind of show up and take care of your problems. And in both cases, it was getting rid of a body. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the biggest problem. So, the high stakes. Yes, very much. Cool. Um, before we put this to bed, is there are there any other storylines we need to check in on before we move on to episode three? There's a couple of so-so and poussey things I thought were interesting, but not anything that is going to loom large. Well, I mean, given that the next episode That's is pretty much entirely so-so yep. and Pusey, yes, I think I think it's a good segue, actually. Oh yes, I also liked when uh, Piscatella made the new CEOs play true two truths and a lie. That's the extent of your orientation. Yeah, it felt like a it felt like college. Uh, all right, yeah, that's all I got for episode two. Uh, yeah, definitely just a lot of. Um, making sure everyone's on the same page, knowing who's up to what. And I I appreciate that. Yeah. And then we get into episode three, which really is kind of a very formulaic Orange New Black episode where you have some check-ins with the ongoing story, but it really is we're going to have one problem here and we're going to set it up and knock it down Yep, and resolve it at the end. And yes. this is really much more of a standalone episode. Yes. And I liked it. Um, I, I'm a big so-so fan. I, I feel like I can, I am alone on that sometimes. Uh, not, not just from you, <laughs> from everyone. Um, she's like, just, uh, 
you know, she's young and annoying and whatever. But I think uh, I've always been interested in how she actually ended up there because uh, she just seemed she was different, didn't really fit in. Uh, so excited to see a full flashback from her finally. Yeah, don't you feel like every every inmate we kind of go through this like maybe they murdered someone. Yeah. And we keep waiting for the secret murderer. Yep. And I don't think it's so-so. Um, no. I think she's really woefully unprepared for everything in prison. And, you know, we've talked about this quite a bit before over the last two seasons about how her role is really to make Piper look like someone who's got a little bit more of a head on her shoulders. Right. And I don't know if that's her job anymore. <laughs> I think Piper is gone off the deep end and so-so is not great but a tiny bit more humanized yeah she's kind of had a fall and she's on the upswing again and i have to say i don't dislike so-so um i think the actress is phenomenal and i got a little side note about kamiko glenn um Mm -hmm. she was on another podcast that i really love called ask me another which is an npr kind of quiz show Ooh, and Every week they have a celebrity guest and the celebrity guest like plays around to the quiz show and they tell them, they tell the hosts ahead of time, here's what I'm into and here's what we can do a quiz on. And Kamiko Glenn's thing that she was into that she wanted to do a quiz about was Celine Dion. That's great. And so there were, they did a quiz and I don't want to give away too much, but she does a spot on Celine Dion imitation. Oh, that's repeatedly. awesome. Which is hilarious. And um, she's actually currently on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, she is in the musical adaptation of Waitress. Yes, which, which I love. Yeah. Once again, um, we're just kind of going through a list of my favorite movies. Because mm-hmm. um, she is playing my favorite character from one of my favorite movies. Yeah, I want to see it so badly. I love Waitress. And I love, I have been listening to the music and love Kamiko Glenn. And it's perfect. She's great. Yeah, so she's fantastic, and I highly recommend you check out her episode of Ask Me Another. Um, right. It's, she's really fantastic, and I think this is not necessarily anything new that we learned about SoSo this episode. This is kind of, and I think we've had this experience before where what we kind of expected is ends up being true. Yep. Yeah, she was a kid, she is just like, she's just kind of a... I would even hesitate to say, like, pathological liar, right? She's just kind of, like, lies in sort of big ways to make things convenient for her. And that has clearly gotten her into some trouble, but in the long run, doesn't seem all that bad. No, she's just, like, she's just incredibly naive. Yep. And she does things, like, she acts out. This is a very... It's a very teenager. It's a very tween kind of thing. She acts out to get the maximum amount of attention over something. Yes. And so in her backstory, this episode, she's involved in an idealistic crusade to keep Walmart out of a neighborhood and gets involved in this bet with um, what I think is her ex-boyfriend mm-hmm. and somehow manages to get the, you know, not only does she get a monetary compensation if she gets this sex offender to sign her petition, but she also somehow manages to wrangle 
the stakes of the bet to be an actual human being. <laughs> yeah, that was a little funny. That guy seemed to have no real issue with it, so sure. But uh, yeah, she was like, if I uh, get this guy, she just wanted the signature. That was the bet. Uh, if or if I can, you know, talk to this guy, find out what he did, what his deal is, then uh, that guy will go on a date with me. <laughs> so, and I guess he did. Yeah, I guess I guess so. Um, we never heard anything. I get maybe it wasn't meant to be. Like maybe that's not what we might term a meet cute. No, probably not. And he uh, he seems pretty complicit, but also uh, not excited, not interesting, really. Uh, a blank slate there for that guy. Yeah, very much. I'm not sure what the appeal was there. Yes. But he he didn't really seem like he got much of a vote. No. I mean, he was good looking, I guess. Uh, but that's it. Um, so, I, we don't even super need to go into this, but So-So uh, goes to the sex offender's house, uh, finds out, you know, he's not what he really seems, and uh, she kind of, it's a little bit creepy and I really thought like he was going to assault her, uh, which I assume is what we were supposed to think. But, uh, turns out, no, he's fine. He, it was, you know, uh, sex on the beach crime of some sort. Uh, and, uh, he got put on a sex offender registry and he, uh, signed her thing. Yep. And then she manages to kind of present the reality that would be most convenient for her when mm-hmm. she's relaying this story to her peers, which is interesting in parallel with what she's doing in the present day. Yes. So uh, we have Judy King, who I adore so far. Um, and she really is like, there are a couple of instances here. We talked about some Paula Dean parallels, and I think they really are laying into that. Um, and I think it, uh, there's a couple of conversations that, uh, Tasty and the girls have they're like is she racist and, uh, I think like that's kind of an interesting question for this whole series and I like I really like the uh, nuanced approach to kind of, to uh, the racial issues on this show because it's like okay like someone there's people on this show that are racist people then there are people on this show that do racist things and or they say racist things and that, that's kind of like a weird spectrum and uh, so they listen to her and they're like, is she, she seems really nice. And like, she's not doing or saying anything racist. And then she does or says something racist. And then she goes back, uh, and trying to figure that out. So, um, very bizarrely, well, Poussey is obsessed with Judy King. We all know this. It's, it's, um, you know, a little much for me, but I, I guess I get like, if I was in, prison with someone that who would be your judy king if you were in prison i i don't i'm not sure i know there's gotta be one and i'm yeah. not historically like even with people i don't necessarily idolize i'm not great with famous people yeah like i think anybody that's like more famous than having been on a reality show i really don't comport myself all that terribly well yeah i think i could go either way like i i don't know if there's anyone that I would be as freaked out about as Poussey is for Judy King, but I definitely would be excited for almost anyone. <laughs> like, uh, but well, I mean, anyone- that's the thing about prison. It's so god awful boring in there. This right. is the most exciting thing that will happen to anybody over the course of their sentence. That's true. That's true. And then forever, like, 
you know, you get to be the person that was in prison with Judy King. Like, you can tell that story forever. You could dine out for free on that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I, I get it. Yeah. I, I guess I just think that, like, it's been a couple of weeks, right? Like, she would have calmed down by now, but nah. So, So-So uh, uh, and Pusey are together, and So-So uh, uh, is doing a little smooth talking uh, to Judy King to try to get her to uh, notice and befriend Pusey. Uh, and uh, for some reason, I, I can't, I guess she makes all this up. She's not, she doesn't know she's lying, but she just assumes that because Pusey is a black woman in prison, uh, she's there because of some sort of uh, institutionalized racism and history of drug use and all this stuff that we know from knowing Pusey is just not true. Yeah, Pusey is fluent in several languages, you know. Yes. She was an army brat. She's lived all over the world. Um, I have to wonder, like, it is a good question. Like, how much is Soso making up on the spot? And how much is she just assuming? And how much does she actually know about this woman that she's dating? Right. And it seems like by the end, like, we do get this neat little bow of, like, let's just learn more about each other. (laughs) So I'm guessing she just doesn't know that much. Um, and like, yeah, it's a little contrived, but I also definitely know people who have like dated each other and don't know that much about each other. So sure. Um, and one of those things that, uh, yeah, I, like, I guess I can believe it, but I also am like, eh, okay. Like these like little white lie kind of things aren't, uh, like, I don't know. I don't know what kind of personality disorder that is. <laughs> like. <laughs> so yeah she really just um it's like you said she kind of goes to this the most plausible explanation and doesn't really pause to think about what could actually be the truth right but it did seem odd to me like someone i'm dating like i'm at least gonna know their background right and yeah and what so so does is pretty racist uh so it's uh it's upsetting to see that uh but i think you know it's clear that this girl will you know just kind of say whatever and go she thinks she's very smart and will go with whatever she thinks the smartest explanation is she thought she was being creative and um you know reading the situation yep she thought she was being intuitive and she really really was not a real piper move yeah it was it's definitely it's definitely a piper move yes so I would have been pretty upset, too. And I think Pusey, do you think Pusey was a little quick to forgive her? Uh, yeah, but I think she probably really likes her and like knows that she's kind of uh, naive and is who she is. But I wouldn't if you made uh, I think those kind of like gross assumptions about someone's family uh, that you would get pretty pissed. <laughs> Although she did. She did do the say anything moment. Yes. Very sweet. She seems to sincerely be making an effort. It's again like a little bit sitcomy, or like if not sitcomy, like seventh heavenly, you know. So, <laughs> like, uh, I'm sure we'll see a couple more of like these sort of things throughout the season, just to keep it somewhat light. Yeah, these like little wacky relationship moments. Um, yeah. It's funny that on the show, like a, a plot line about like making assumptions about people because of their race and the fact that they're in prison is like the light fun part. (laughs) (laughs) I think that says a lot about the show, doesn't it? Yes. (laughs) Yes. 
Yeah. And of course, now I have the song from Avenue Q stuck in my head. Yep. Yep. Elsewhere on this um, on this episode, like once we get out of the relationship drama, um, we've got a really uncomfortable moment. Like apparently Joe Caputo is now dating Linda for purchasing. Uh. And this is super awkward. It is nice to see Admiral Rod Cocker again. Mm-hmm. But boy, that's awkward. Yeah. Linda is, well, a couple, a couple things. Uh, Linda is a bit out of touch. Uh, just a Cap- bit. Yes. Um, Caputo is, uh, not in a place to date. <laughs> is that the, I don't, I don't, I don't really know how to, uh, are you just secretly a Caputo fig shipper? Maybe I am. I don't, uh, yeah, I, I guess, I mean, I love Caputo. I think he's the best, like the most sympathetic character on this show. He fucks up a lot. Like, I think it was in this episode, um, uh, where he mentions like, um, T- I hired Tacey as my assistant because she's the smartest one that I'm kind of attracted to. And, like, he has his scumbag moments, but he's overall a good person. So I really like him. And I think Linda is not good enough for him. <laughs> and then, but uh, they also end up in, like, kind of a complicated, awkward situation where they see, uh, you know, the former guard working at the restaurant that they're eating at. And uh, things aren't things aren't great. Yeah, it, it, it's a very complicated thing. And I think one of the recurring themes of last season and probably continuing this season is that Caputo's always trying to do the right thing by everybody. And he's frequently in a no-win situation. Yes. Frequently has to pay for it in ways that lots of people that don't think about this as hard as he does will not have to pay for it. Right. And he's one of the few people, especially in the administrative side, that really do try to empathize and think of things from other people's point of view uh these ceos weren't you know weren't thinking about anyone but themselves and like that was within their right but also made things hard so uh these types of confrontations are unfortunate uh but kind of part of it we're getting some construction work has begun on the on the old cabins which were apparently in really amazing shape yeah they look great yeah, I mean, that looks, granted, this is like a New Yorker speaking who always runs out of room. But yeah, it looks like a nice place to live. Yeah, you're like, I would take one of these tiny houses for sure. They're wiring them for internet. Like, that'll be great. And I hope it gets us out of uh, the uh, the bottle episode of the prison. We can see some, I'm sure we'll see some different people in these little houses from time to time. So I'm excited for them. Very, very cute. Yeah, it'll be it'll be like summer camp. Yeah, they're great little cabins. I'm excited to meet all the new CEOs, too, or the good ones, at least. Yeah, well, and I'm sure the bad ones will drive the plot equally. True, true. Um, so we we got to see another area of the prison that we haven't been to in a while. We got to go out into the into the visitors area. Yeah, not as many visitors as there used to be for some reason. <laughs> yeah, um, interesting. The prison population doubled and the visitors fell off. Yep, yep. It's almost as if something was making them uncomfortable. <laughs> yes, we get Morello and Vinny. Uh, Morello, I guess she has a different last name now, but uh, they, uh, you know, they're just two lovebirds. I, I'm making it work. I, I guess we give them props for that. Yeah, I, uh, 
yeah, this made me incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> and uh, But it was funny and good and uh, very clear that these CEOs don't really know what they're doing. But uh, they basically just had simulated sex in the visitor's lounge. Uh, in front of small children. Yeah, no shame. No shame at all. Yeah, I, I guess something about being in prison and losing all your privacy probably does desensitize you a bit. Yes. But Vinny has no excuse. Yeah, Vinny, uh, yeah, well, Vinny's excuse is that he uh, lives at home with his mom and his brother, and uh, this is maybe the most private time he gets, so uh, hard to say. Are these, are Vinny and Morello, or I guess Morello, how old is she supposed to be? Um, I think she's supposed to be in late 20s, but I'm not sure. I guess that makes sense. I was like, they seem so young. Yeah, she's not old enough to be bothered by being married to a guy that lives with his parents. So I think those two crazy kids are going to make it. Yeah, they seem like they're very happy so far and they're keeping it spicy. Yeah. Good for them. And she's like one of the wackiest ones in there. So I hope that she uh, is able to make something work for her. So we touched on this briefly and uh, Tasty has gotten a new job. She's out of the custodial pool and into Caputo's office, which I think I think this is a great place for her. It'll give her a chance to show off her skill set. Um, although I agree with her, I don't. I'm not going to be doing anybody's taxes badly and ended up with more time on my sentence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's so smart and good, and I'm glad they're like Daniel Brooks is so freaking good, and I love giving her like kind of interesting plots that she can drive herself. So uh, I, I, I like this. And I think it's ripe for both humor and plot. Yeah, because you know she's getting on the internet. Yes. So I guess there's not much to say about that yet. I I think I think Caputo made a good choice, even if he kind of did that for the wrong reasons. Right. Yeah. It had to be tasty. As soon as he was, I knew it was going to be her. As soon as they mentioned it, and uh, I was, I'm excited. We all know that she, you know, could be doing whatever. Like she's so smart and capable. So. I am. Uh, I hope that uh, that this job gives her a lot of interesting work to do for Caputo and for everyone, or at the very least, you know, gives her some of those job skills. Like we know she can ace a job interview, so right. Let's put her in a position now where she gets the actual skills and goes out and makes it in the world. Maybe that's optimistic, but if anybody can, it's going to be tasty. I hope so. We all she didn't the first time, which was is always such a sad thing to remember. But hopefully, if she gets that again, they'll be able to. And once again, I feel like the writers maybe kind of wrote themselves in a corner there because this was the first season where we were really we were really at this point where we had not we did not know how deep this story was going to go and how rich the tapestry of everybody's lives were going to be. And I think maybe if the writers had to do it all over again, they wouldn't have given that plot point to tasty. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense because it doesn't, it, it doesn't vibe with her character all that much anymore. Um, I guess the V thing is weird um, in the sense that who knows how much that like truly affected her. Um, but that was in the first season, right? Then she got out and came back. Yeah. in the first season and she ended up like it really, you know, speaking of Shawshank, mm-hmm. it really did remind me of, um, the James Whitmore character who gets 
out on parole and he's 90 years old and he can't function on the outside. And so he considers reoffending. Right. And you knew they were going to go there with one of the inmates at that point. And so they just kind of, it was like, we weren't super invested in tasty at that point. We're going to make it that character. She's going to do that. She's going to come back. And I think now we know so much about tasty. It doesn't jive with what we know about her. Exactly. Um, yeah, and considering that I was in Orange is the New Black time only maybe a year ago, uh, then it doesn't, you know, for her to have, like, all this personal growth in a year might be a little unrealistic. So, yeah, but, so, I'll I'll keep hope that, like, she's very young. She's probably, she's probably, like, 25 or something. So, that if she gets back out, that she'll be able to handle it this time. Absolutely. And anything that puts more Danielle Brooks on our screen is always a good thing. Definitely. She's going to have a career after this. That Danielle Brooks is going to have a career after this. You know, she did get nominated for a Tony. Yeah. Yeah. I think she's doing okay. Yeah. She's got, she's got a lot of irons in the fire. Yes. That's for sure. Um, so, you know, that Juilliard education paying off. Yeah. Good for Juilliard. Good for Juilliard. Um, what else do you want to talk about this episode? Have we kind of gone over, this seemed like, this was really kind of an episode that existed in and of itself. Like yeah. we had the problem. We resolved the problem. We had, it wasn't one that pushed the plot terribly forward. I don't think I have no other comments. This is one of those episodes. Like I don't think I necessarily needed a whole episode that was all about Soso's flashbacks, I guess. And episode four is kind of the same thing. Like of all the characters, I want to see a full set of episode flashbacks from I don't think Sam Healy was on my list either right uh, and to say like the thing about Soso I would have been more okay with the flashback if it told us something else more about her like I don't I, it's like we have this whole episode and I don't think we really learned all that much about her and probably pretty similar with Healy like I think Healy and this is where I kind of wanted to talk about nuance I think he's a very interesting character and this was a little more informative, um, but a lot of the stuff we did know to some extent already about him. Um, yeah, and we have a lot of uh, we have a lot of women here that we want to get to. So I, um, in the first four episodes, getting to Sam Healy is kind of a bummer. Yeah, yeah. It's like every so often, it's like let's give a flashback to a man. This is a show about women. What about the men? It's like what indeed about the men? <laughs> yeah, and, you know, uh, there, there's another show for that. It's called Every Other Show on Television. Yep, agreed, very much so. And I think throw one in there if you want. To throw one, episode nine or, or something. You know, like whatever. Like I, this is so early to be talking about this kind of thing. Um, that we don't like. We have so many female characters that we're just like jonesing for and uh i i i'm interested but i'm not interested at the expense of other stuff um and this thing about healy that has kind of been stuck with me since watching this episode was i it's like i get it and i don't get it and i don't know if me not getting it is like a product of him being such a complicated character that they really just haven't come out with like his, like here's his issue. Like they haven't really been super clear about that. Or is it a product of 
not really, I, I hesitate, I very much hesitate to say that he's a poorly written character because I know, I don't think anything on this show is poorly written, but I just, they're trying to tell me what his like motivation is behind why he is the way he is. I'm just not buying it. And like, I am having a really hard time with it. I think they're shoehorning too much into him. Yeah. And I do go back and forth. Like there are moments, like especially over the course of his friendship with red last season where I was really like warming up to him. And I kind of like got the warm fuzzies watching them interact. And you thought, Oh, well maybe I can sort of ship it, even though I know how terribly wrong it is and how terribly inappropriate it is. Mm -hmm. And then he would turn around and say something like super bigoted and you'd think, Oh yeah, this guy's a dick and he's not good at his job. And you know, look what he did to birdie. But now it's just like they need to find an angle to connect him and bring him back around. And so they kind of put this all into his character. And it's it's a lot. Right. And I I love the multidimensional characters. And, but to me, like a lot of these multidimensional characters have some sort of consistent driving force behind them. And uh, this character, Healy... Like, they're trying to tell us, like, oh, his his driving force is that his mother was obviously very mentally ill, went through, you know, uh, this ECT treatment that was, like, uh, you know, incredibly painful, that she ultimately left and probably became homeless. And this really, really tragic story that he that drove him to both, like, try to help women and also on some level hate women. And he had this dad that was very, you know, controlling and, uh, put it like, you know, push a lot of like poor messages on him. And that's just so much like, and I believe it like in a lot of ways, but not like not enough from this guy. I don't know. It's, it's hard. Like I just, like, would it be easier if, like, he just hated women? Like, yes. Like, and I'm not looking for, like, that very basic plot point. But he's become kind of an unpredictable character. And not in, like, a... Not in an interesting way. In a way that I'm like, is any of your behavior consistent with what we've learned about you? It's like the writers make him do whatever they want him to do at right. whatever point, And right. not necessarily in a way that makes sense for the character every time. Right. And I can definitely understand that there's a lot of nuance in what's sexist, what's racist, what, you know, what's this to one person is this to something else. But the thing we are pretty consistently told about Healy is like he is a bad CEO. (laughs) Like he has hurt way more people than he's helped. He's just kind of a, you know, a guy who's always there. So they keep him around and he has a background in social work, so he knows what he's doing. But he's, you know, uh, Judy King is requested to be moved from him. He had this very bad relationship with Red. He really uh, ruined a lot of things with Soso. He does not have a great track record of helping women. Uh, But he's not just like this sad, sad guy. Like he's kind of, he's manipulative or evil on some level. And I just can't figure out what that is. Yeah, it it's very true. And like they've they can do a good job at presenting a nuanced character. Like I believe everything we've been shown about Joe Caputo, for example. Right. Like he's disgusting. He hates women on some level. 
he is not great at his job, but he's not terrible at it. Mm-hmm. But every action he has taken makes sense within like what we know to be his motivations. Right. And I don't always get that out of Healy. Right. Healy has a nail order bride. Like that is so egregious and on no level like like a good thing for women in any respect and I will hear no arguments like and that is kind of presented to us as just a thing about him and not something that you're like holy shit like this guy like you know uh, is his entire marriage is like this objectification like human trafficking crime and like it's just uh and like but we see him interact with like judy king we're supposed to be like oh he's kind of sweet like that's really really tough for me to reconcile yeah well katya seems to be doing okay yeah he let her move out right so yeah it's not like he's keeping her chained up in the basement right so yeah but (laughs) so it's kind of like all right i guess he's not a bad guy because his wife isn't a literal sex slave (laughs) but uh right does he get a merit badge for not participating in human trafficking right this is why this is hard for me and i'm trying to figure it out and i spent a lot of time thinking about that after this episode yeah well you know you know where i got caught up this episode um i got caught up on the way that this episode presented flashbacks and set up particular like to create a, an era like yes this is one of the first times i think that i've seen an era that i myself lived through being presented with the establishing shots of all of the various like 1993 94 paraphernalia and watching it not really work like we need to talk about the soul patch and the panel they did very little work and they even with the so-so flashback which like they said happened around hurricane katrina i was like okay that's supposed to be like 10 or 11 years ago like they are putting very little effort into making these people look younger in their flashbacks Right. And, you know, oh, I'm going to walk by a movie theater that's playing Welcome to the Dollhouse. What a bizarre reference. Like, what a movie I haven't thought about in so long that that's the movie. Like, and that's a messed up movie (laughs) that Healy would take, like, someone who he was their social worker to on a date. Like, that was so bizarre to me. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, like, we're going to dress you up like Eddie Vedder so that everybody knows clearly what year it is. Yes, that's so funny. It kind of took me out of it a little bit. And really, like, this didn't tell us a whole lot more than we already knew about him either, because we knew his mother was mentally ill. We got that in his little, like, mini flashback that we've seen previously. Yes. What we were hoping for, I know we've spoken about this before, like, why is he such a homophobe? Why does he hate lesbians so much? And we get, like, this tantalizing little detail that someone calls his mother a lesbian that howled at the moon. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, well, maybe we're going to go into that. Like, maybe she's not really crazy. Maybe she's got, like, some side piece and it tears the family apart and she's painted as mentally ill because they did that in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And we didn't go down that road. No, it seemed like she was probably schizophrenic. Yeah. Like, and yeah, and that's sad and terrible, but like very, like not super related to being a lesbian and doesn't really 
clarify what's going on there. Yeah, it it really it was really kind of a mess of several and they tried to take several like unrelated vignettes from his life and tie them together narratively and it it really didn't hang together. Right. And like it was kind of when he meets this homeless woman that he thinks is his mother, which is so like I like very uh, you know, I understand what's going on here but like to me that was like very clearly not his mother uh and uh that has he just been searching for his mother his whole life he just wants to serve her and like to bring you know be this amazing son but that's not really in line with his behavior at the prison either so um i guess how he want i think what they're trying to tell us is he wants to help women and he just is misguided and doesn't really have the uh, the kind of innate knowledge of women to be able to do that. Uh, so he's just kind of this like bumbling guy who's trying to help women, which to me, like, I don't care. Like, that's pretty inexcusable. Like, and I, I hate seeing women be treated poorly, even in fiction. So uh, he just bums me out. And this whole story kind of bums me out. Well, I mean, the good the good news about getting our Healy flashback is we've gotten our Healy flashback, and maybe yep. we won't have one again for a really long time. That would be that would be good. That's the upside. The I think the interesting thing that happened, like as we followed him through this episode, was that Lolly basically confesses to everybody what happened. Yep, and there is. Uh, it's easy for them to be like, oh, Lolly, she's crazy. What a paranoid, crazy person. Let's get her on some medication. <laughs> and uh, that cleans that mess up pretty nicely. Yeah, it, it's also, I think, it's kind of a mini statement. I would be shocked if we didn't get more of this later this season. Um, it is really kind of a mini statement on how mental illness is handled, like in the prison system and in the larger world. Yep. For sure. And like, this makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to deal with it. Let me throw some chemicals at it. Yeah. And I think that that can work and be good for a lot of people. And in some situations is uh, a quick fix problem. So, uh, and Lolly is mentally ill. Like, I, you know, even if she or all her uh, conspiracies turn out to be right, <laughs> like, she's still a mentally ill person. And I think that needs to be addressed in a real way because i think mental illness in prison is a huge uh thing huge issue and uh to deal with it in a thoughtful way is a challenge and something that i would love for this show to handle in an interesting way yeah well and they kind of did a little bit last season um we saw how he similarly handled so 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 yep and i think we've also seen like how suzanne is handled Right. But it is like in this case, like Lolly's a little bit more cut and dried because she's very clearly like also has these paranoid schizophrenic tendencies. And Healy responds to that because he's, I think he does see some of his mother in her. Yep, exactly. I think that was uh, laid out to us pretty clearly that, all right, here, you know, I couldn't help my mother, so I'm going to help you. And uh, I know that. You know, you're hearing voices and we will help take care of it. Yeah. And on the surface, it looked like he did a good job. Yeah. She's yeah. like, good talk. All right. 
Right. And it's like, wow, Keely, you were good at your job for 10 minutes. Um, except then because you know what really went on, you know, that's not actually the case. Exactly. Yep. And, uh, that body is now on Healy's hands. So, uh, we, uh, I, I'm glad to kind of hopefully release the paranoia that's been in the first four episodes because it's made me pretty anxious. Uh, but I can't imagine that that story is wrapped up perfectly. No, probably not. But if we're going to put it aside to kind of focus on other things for a while, I think this is a good way to put it to bed and to have um, to have Red involved now and to have Red kind of moderating everything was another interesting turn that this took, Um, especially like Frida's solution to the plan is like, we should just kill her. And that's kind of Frida's solution to everything. Yes. And Alex uh, got super upset, went to Red. Uh, who is still the mom and uh, Red's able to talk everyone down out of this. Um, But I thought, again, it kind of would have been funny if they killed Wally. (laughs) Like that sounds terrible, but like if this is the kind of person this is turning into that, like everyone who's an issue is who the next person we murder, uh, that could be a real uh, comedy of errors. They're going to run out of garden space. That's true. Like there, there's a great indie movie, um, which kind of came back into the into the RHAP slash post-show recaps consciousness in recent years. Um, there's a great indie movie from the 90s called The Last Supper. Notable mostly because... Jonathan Penner. Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, most notably because of Jonathan Penner's involvement. Um, this was kind of his baby. And they there's a recurring comic plot point of people getting murdered, chopped up, and buried underneath tomato plants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And every time they cut to these, like, beautiful tomatoes in Orange is the New Black, I think about the giant tomato plants that crop up being, like, nourished by the bodies in The Last Supper. That's very funny. I think there's so many uh, allusions to other things in this. It would not surprise me if, like, some writer saw that movie once and was like, oh, this is going to be my, uh, the thing that I'm angling in here. Uh, the thing that I kept thinking about during this episode, and I have like musical theater on the brain always. So like there was uh, like uh, the musical Next to Normal, which talks a lot about ECT. And it's like, oh, like this is kind of like that. Like, um, and I don't think it was a direct illusion, but I was, anytime I see that stuff pop up, I'm like, uh, one of the writers saw this thing that I also saw <laughs> and is throwing little references in there. Well, you know, as many... As many random references as get thrown in there, I don't think it's accidental. Yeah, I don't think so. So maybe there's a big Jonathan Penner fan on on the writing staff. Absolutely could be. I mean, how many random tiny Survivor references were there in 30 Rock? True, true. You know, they all live in the world that we live in. And my personal favorite when it comes to the random references are all of the tiny literary references, like what people are reading and like you have Boo and Pensatucky getting involved in a conversation about Freakonomics or, mm-hmm. you know, Tasty positioning herself as the hand of the warden. Um, yeah. And that stuff cracks me up because it's like they're bringing, they're bringing as many references as possible and hoping that you catch them. And yes. You're never going to catch every single one of them. Right. Was that a Pokemon reference? Yes, you got to catch them all. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't think we need to do much more about Healy. Um, yeah. We've done all the Healy we need to do. Um, yeah, let's talk about Sophia. Let's talk about Sophia, because this is really, this is a really grim situation. Yeah, really, 
fucked up. But hey, talk about singular motivation. <laughs> and that's what we get here with Sophia, that she got uh, put in the shoe uh, in a pretty unceremonious fashion. Um, she's being treated terribly, and uh, she wants to get the hell out of there. So she'll do what she needs to do, which is flood and fire. Sophia is nothing if not resourceful. Yes. That, yeah, that light bulb thing, I saw her do that. I'm like, yeah, that's what I would do too. <laughs> like, that was badass and uh, effective. Yeah, I mean, temporarily, it's probably just going to get more time added onto her time in the shoe. Probably. And I'm trying to figure out what her end game is there. Um, but it got her out for now and it got everyone out for now, which I guess I can appreciate. I mean, a temporary reprieve from the shoe is always appreciated, I suppose. And we got a nice wink from our friend Nikki, who I miss dearly. I'm so glad that she's back. Me too. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately, like, these, you would think that these two got to get out of there. They're so uh, important to the show that I want, they, uh, they need to be back in the, in the regular pool. I was really concerned at the end of last season, like the way that Nikki went out, I was concerned that we were never going to see her again. So Me I, was, too. I was very happy to get even this really brief glimpse of her. Yeah. They, like, I think they know how valuable she is. And if they brought back Natasha Leon, they didn't just bring her back for a five second shot. Yeah, I, I sure hope not. I love her. I want more of her. Yeah, I, I do as well. Yeah, so Sophia doesn't really say a lot. What a brilliant, beautiful actress that, you know, doesn't need to, no need for exposition, no need to over-talk this. It's like, she wants out, and uh, they are going to, she's going to do what needs to be done. And that's kind of where we left it. And it's interesting because she got put in there with really no um, inciting incident. Like, she didn't really do anything to get herself put in there. So. Right. To wonder, like, well, now she's actually done something. She's destroyed some property and she set some stuff on fire and... A lot of people in danger. I guess she probably feels it can't get any worse and maybe it can't. Yeah, and that's Sophia, right? She's a little bit of a flair for the dramatic um, and very much uh, concerned with her well-being, like, rightfully so, to some extent. Uh, So, I don't know. We We gotta hear what she has to say. And I think uh, she could be uh, the big Caputo foil for this this season. It's it's hard to say which direction that's going to go. Right. Right. And weirdly enough, like, this was not the most depressing thing that happened this episode. No. Uh, this uh, Pensatucky moment truly upset me <laughs> and, like, was very hard for me to watch. If that if that's what you're referring to, yeah, this is yes. absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah, um, Pensatucky uh, confronts Coates and basically, you know, calls him out for raping her, and uh, he says he didn't rape her, and uh, oh my god, heartbreaking! Like, and it, I just don't, I, uh, I, I came, I don't know, it really, really like hit my heart. I was like. Oh, fuck. Like, what is this girl supposed to do? She's in a really strange place. Like, I think it's interesting to watch her, like, and as the kids are saying, like, she's getting a little more woke. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thanks to, thanks to kind of counseling from Boo. Yeah. 
and kind of realizing like how much terrible messed up stuff happened to her over the course of her life that she didn't realize was terrible and messed up at the time. And she kind of makes a move to, you know, bring some peace to herself. And she speaks to Donuts about this and turns out Donuts is living in that same world where she was. Yep. And he doesn't realize what a truly messed up thing it was. Yeah. And I like, I don't know what you do in that situation. Like this guy, he, he's terrible and bad and I hate him, but like, he's just an idiot. Like he really didn't understand why what he did was wrong. And that's really devastating. So I don't know where we go from here. Yeah. I, I like seeing this as like kind of a thread throughout these first four episodes has been very sad and something that I can't imagine. There's no way this resolves in a way that's happy. Like there might be ways it resolves in a way that's okay. But in general, uh, it's an incredibly upsetting storyline to me and I want to see it close, but I don't know if that's even really possible. Well, I think, I think the whole point is that it is hard to resolve. Right. I don't think there is a resolution except I guess it's good news that I don't think that Maritza is in any danger here. Yes. Yes. Agreed. So uh, good for her, I guess. Yeah. And it's really like sweet, I guess, that Pensateki and Boo, like that's their primary concern right now. Yeah. Because they're like, you know, she's like, I can't do anything about me, but I really don't want him to hurt another young girl. Yeah. So it, it doesn't seem like that's how he sees it, which is good. Right. If anything can be said to be good in this total garbage dump of a situation. Yes. In a mildly more positive story, it looks like Oleda is going to get out early for good behavior. Yeah, I mean, good for her. Um, I wonder how different this is going to be from the tasty storyline that we've talked about earlier. Right. And she's very nervous and doesn't think she has the, you know, what she needs to pull it off and she has to get her kids back. And like, that's a heavy, heavy friggin' thing. But it's definitely at least positive that she can get out. Yeah. Um, but I think it's also, it's probably also going to give us another sense of like, here's how woefully unprepared our society is to receive people who have been in the correctional system. Yes. Yes. And, you know, she was like, no one will hire me. I'm a felon. And uh, they were, uh, Gloria was so nice and counseling to her. And uh, I really, yeah, it's, it's a bummer. It's the hardest thing in the world, but I have to, you know, I, I want all these women to get out eventually. So I guess that's part of it. Yeah. We want them all to move on to great jobs and do great things, but the show might get a little heavy-handed with this, and I, I'm really hoping it doesn't. I hope it goes a little more subtle with this one. I agree, and I think uh, in the long run, this just seems like large legal battles uh, are awaiting her when she gets out of here, so uh, sounds difficult, uh, but potentially interesting. I don't know. Yeah, I hope she, I hope this doesn't mean the actress is leaving the show. Yeah, I hope not. I have a feeling though that like maybe they're phasing out some people who we've kind of finished their stories, so we can make room for some of these new people. Uh, if that's the case, like this might be one. Alita and Daya might be one that like we really ran through very hard in the first three seasons. So it wouldn't be the worst thing to close that book. But I also like them so. 
I don't mind them sticking around either. Yeah, I mean, we just keep, we kind of keep shoehorning new people in and not getting rid of any people. Exactly. And it is realistic. We've been in here, like, in showtime, this has been several months now, people would be getting out. Right. And it would be some people we care about. So it's better than coming up with contrivance after contrivance to keep them there. Exactly. Like they kind of did with Piper. Right. (laughs) I mean, yeah, maybe Piper can get out for good behavior. Yeah, and I think, but I think the the whole arc where she goes to Chicago and they kind of obliquely refer to maybe she got more time on her sentence, I think was kind of a hedge in case like, you know, we can keep Taylor Schilling around here for as long as we need her, but we can always just have her shank someone and get more time added under a sentence. Yep. Always an option. It's always an option. Somebody, you know, we like an actor, we want to keep him around. They can always shank someone. You know, we don't like them. We want them off the show. We don't have to kill them off. We just send them either to Max or we get rid of them. Like, yeah, the possibilities are endless. It's true. It's it's a revolving door. All right. Well, with all of that in mind, I think we have covered, I think we've, we can probably put episode four to bed. As, I agree. As well. Like, I think we're still kind of feeling out where the season's going to go. We have some arcs in place. We have Maria rising up as a new kingpin. We have Piper being her opposite number kind of delusional. We have Judy King. And we've always got the, you know, depressing machine that is privatized prison. Yep. that That's one uh, evil force that will not go away for a little while, at least. Yeah. So, I mean, it gives us plenty to cover in the next three episodes. Um, for in the, sure. In the meantime, like... Taylor and I will be touching base in several days to record the next set of episodes. Um, but in the meantime, we would love to get your feedback on any of this. Um, talk about the show in general, um, how you're enjoying it, um, assuming you're watching it, which is always apparently a, not a safe assumption to make um, when it comes to leaving comments. But if you're watching the show and you're listening to our podcasts and you enjoy what you're hearing, or if you have a nuanced critique... Please feel free to leave us some comments um, over on postshowrecaps.com. We really love hearing from you. We love hearing from you in the form of iTunes reviews. And, of course, you can always tweet at us. I'm at Haymaker Hattie. I am at Taylor Cotter. Anything that's on your mind, like let us know where you think the story is going. Like how far did you get? Did you binge watch the whole thing in the weekend? Because I know the temptation was there. Um, Who do you like? Who do you dislike? Who are they doing a good job with? Who needs to go? We want to hear all about all of that and more, and we eagerly await all of your input. Yes, uh, hit us up anytime. As always, there's plenty of great uh, content out in the larger post-show recaps world. We are wrapping up Game of Thrones very rapidly, and there are getting ready for Mr. Robot. Um, and Mike Bloom and I finished up the season four of Orphan Black very recently and you can hear our recap of the whole season over on Post Show Recaps and plenty of other fun stuff to suit every taste and every preference so hope you'll go on over there and check it out so until next time thanks everybody for tuning in and we'll see you next time see you soon